Should your medical practice use a captive insurance company? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is attorney and financial consultant David B. Mandel. He is with the law office of David B. Mandel, PC, and principal of the financial consulting firm Odell Jarvis and Mandel, LLC. He has addressed many of the nation's leading medical conferences, talking about his book, Wealth Protection, Build and Preserve Your Financial Fortress. Counselor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you having me. I have never heard of a captive insurance company, so please help me in defining it. Sure. Well, a captives, a captive insurance company, uh, otherwise known as a captive, have been used by the largest companies uh, in the U.S. Many of the Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies uh, have been using captives for a long time. For example, if you decide to ship a package, let's say, with UPS, and you decide you want the insurance on that package, where that dollar or five dollars or whatever the charge is for that insurance goes, it's not to UPS, but to UPS's captive insurance company. They've created their own insurance company because they feel that the risks that they manage on these packages across the country, across the world, uh, they can take a profit out of it rather than using some other insurance company uh, as they used to do they've decided to create their own insurance company and reap the profits, reap the tax benefits, reap a lot of other business benefits from that arrangement. Doctors can do the same thing. Uh, Large practices and even a small uh, individual profitable practices can come together and use a captive in a joint way. Well, I'm curious, how small is small? I mean, can you have a three-man group have their own insurance company or do they have to kind of join up with a few groups? Yeah, it really depends on two things. All right, one is, what are they using it for? If they're, the, the traditional thing that most physicians think about when they, when they think of captives or when they think about insurance is medical malpractice insurance. It's their largest insurance expense and the one that uh, they probably hate writing premiums to an outside company for, especially if they're not uh, ever claiming on those policies, which, of course, they hope they don't have to. In that case, a small practice, a one- or two- or three-person practice, it wouldn't make sense for them to do it on their own. Now, what they might do is join with a number of other groups to create a captive in that arena. Uh, However, a lot of physicians are looking at using captives not for their traditional med-mal insurance, but perhaps to pick up the gaps or the excess coverage around that and other types of insurances that right now they have no coverage for, things like employee issues, things like healthcare finance administration audits, HMO audits, other types of risks that they have in their business that right now, if they don't insure for them, they have to kind of save a rainy day fund uh, dollar for it. Whereas they use a captive, there are a lot of tax benefits that attach to it, and it may make sense for them to do that, even if they keep their regular med mal insurance with you know, a traditional uh, carrier. David, what happens, let's say, after 10 years, you've paid into your own captive, and you've had no claims against you, and you close shop, do you get to keep the money? Whoever the captive owners are would. For example, let's think of it this way. Let's say your practice owned a piece of real estate and you create another entity like an LLC or a corporation, and your practice was paying rent to that LLC every year. Well, there'd be a lot of profit there, or eventually they would pay down that building. If they decide then to, um, the physicians who are retiring, to also sell the building or take the cash out and rent it to somebody else, they can do that. Same thing with the captive. If a lot of funds have gone into the captive from the medical practice over the years, 
and they haven't paid out much in claims, there's going to be a sizable reserve there. There's going to be a lot of profit sitting there, and that can be part of the physician owner's retirement plan in addition to their profit-sharing plan or their 401k, et cetera. They'll have the access to those funds. There'll be some taxes on the way out, typically. But there is a, uh, it's a tremendous way for them to grow funds in addition to their traditional retirement plan for retirement. Are you seeing a lot of physicians doing this? I mean, is this a, a new trend? Is this accelerating or is still nobody knows about it? It's still relatively uh, a small group. I think that there was a lot of interest in captives and risk retention groups about three or four or five years ago when the medical malpractice insurance crisis got its most severe. You know, large <clears throat> insurance companies were, you know, like St. Paul's were dropping out of the market, and some physicians literally had no place to get MedMal. So they're saying, hey, maybe we need to create our own insurance company to provide this. That crisis, while still severe in certain places, specialties in certain states, has, has, has uh, eased a bit. So we don't see that interest as much there. Where we don't see enough interest, I think, is using the small captives for these other types of risks because these are risks that the physicians generally don't have insurance for now. So they're not trying to replace something. These are new insurances, but when they understand the asset protection, the tax, the business benefits of these kinds of arrangements, they start to get interested because it does make a lot of sense in the right circumstances. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking with attorney and financial consultant David B. Mandel, and we're talking about captive insurance companies. David, um, is this to cover, like you mentioned earlier, let's say I have uh, disability insurance, I have employee liability for sexual harassment, uh, workman's comp, I have uh, general business insurance. Can I lump it all into one little captive? You could do most of the insurances you mentioned. I'd probably stay away from the disability because generally these insurance companies, you want to, first of all, put them, create them in a state or even sometimes internationally in a jurisdiction where there's special captive legislation. It makes it really simple and less expensive. You've got to treat try to create a real large non-captive insurance company in some states, it's going to be you know, overwhelmingly expensive and complicated. So first of all, you have to be a captive that has, comes under the specific statute, whether it be you know, in one of the states like Utah or South Carolina or Vermont that kind of specializes in this, or internationally. And generally, those statutes, those rules for captives will require the company be what's called a property and casualty insurance company, a P&C company. And P&C companies write insurance like some of the ones you named. You know, it could be uh, sexual harassment, employee litigation, uh, as I mentioned before, HMO audit, HICFA audit, any of these kinds of things, but not life insurance or health insurance or disability insurance. So generally, those are not insurances that the captive uh, would write. But the other types of business risks, that I mean, we've had physicians who have electronic medical records. Their entire office is EMR now, and they didn't have any insurance for the, that EMR, or they had insurance that had a lot of uh, loopholes, that had a lot of uh, deductible, that had certain uh, coverage limits, that if they really had a problem, their captive could at least give them a way to cover some of those costs in the event that they had a problem with the EMR. You mentioned earlier that there's some benefits with asset protection. Can sure. Can you elaborate on that? Well, asset protection, which is really the idea of shielding wealth from potential claims in the future, 
is certainly on the mind of many physicians. We've written a, a couple of books on that topic. And one of the things that's really nice about the captives is the funds in the captive are virtually immune to lawsuits against the doctor or the medical practice. In the books we've written, we use a minus five to a plus five sliding scale, minus five being an asset that's totally vulnerable, totally exposed to lawsuits, and plus five being one that cannot be taken. And the funds in a captive, if done right, are typically in the plus four, plus five level of protection. So they're an excellent place for physicians to be building wealth throughout their career. And if it can be tax advantaged as well, to some degree, uh, that even makes it even stronger. Can you give an example of uh, what a minus five might be, that something is totally vulnerable to being taken? Sure. That, That would be assets in your own name, unless they were protected by state law. For example, 401k, even though if it's in your name, that cannot be taken. That's that's a plus five asset because it's protected under federal law, really from the bankruptcy code. But an example might be your home. Mm-hmm. In certain states, I'm doing this phone call with you, as you know now, from Florida, mm-hmm. where they have an unlimited homestead exemption. Now, there's you know technical rules to that in terms of how long you've been living there, but Florida has an unlimited protection. So you can have a you know two, three, five million dollar home here, and it is plus five protected. You go back to the state of New York, where my main office is. Homestead protection in the state of New York is ten thousand dollars. Wow. So no doctors own homes in New York. Well, they do, unfortunately. And, and, and what I'm trying to do when I educate them and work with them is saying... How well do you like your wife? Well, it's not only that. That's a, a common misconception. Putting the house in the spouse's name really isn't going to do much if you're the one paying the mortgage, you're living in it half the time. It's going to be treated like a joint asset if you treat it every way but what's on the title. So really, it gets into other uh, potential ideas and techniques, but the concept, bringing it back to the captive, is here's a good place for a physician in any state, whether they're in New York or Florida or New Jersey, which has no exemptions to other states that are more protective, like Texas and Florida, what have you, where a captive could be a good tool, at least on the asset protection side, in any state that they're in. All right, David, let's say I am uh, the uh, president of a 20-man urology group, and I listen to this show, and I say, oh, my God, I've got to get a captive. What's the first step I do? Well, I think, you know, generally, I would say you want to get educated. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, we're, in addition to helping clients do this, and when I say I say we help clients, even though I'm an attorney and I have this financial planning firm that has over a 1,000 physician clients, I don't create captives myself. I know about them a lot, but like urology, you want to be doing something every day, all day, if you want right. to do it competently. So, so there, I work there are with a experts, number. So there are experts that set up captives. Sure. And, and generally, you, you want to find an attorney who's you know, experienced in this, who understands uh, all, all the hurdles that you need to overcome to do it right. And you know, we work with a number of them. And, and the clients, if they're really interested after talking with us, we introduce them to one of the experts. All right. And what are these experts charged to set up a captive? I know it's going to vary, but are sure. we talking? Yeah, it's fairly expensive. I mean, it's a tool. That's, that's another reason why I think a lot of physicians haven't set them up, because you have to be able to get the value out of them and be in a place where they're worth it. I mean, generally, you can expect, in general, that setting up the captive in the first year, all the costs the actuarial, the legal, the, the tax, the government costs, et cetera, you can expect them to be about $75,000 to $100,000. And then on an annual basis to maintain the company and do everything that needs to be done correctly, you can expect uh, around $50,000 a year. So 
you, you start to see uh, practices that have three, five million dollars in revenues. It starts to become interesting because they have enough risk where the, the benefit overcomes those costs. Um, that's why when you asked me earlier, you know, a two or three person uh, uh, practice versus a 20 person, it really has more to do with the revenues okay, than so the number of people. If there are three plastic surgeons, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. We've done it for owners who have different uh, retirement objectives and timing. You have the older physician, the two younger ones, and the captive is also going to allow them to do a buyout plan. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, David Mandel. We've been discussing the benefits of uh, starting a captive insurance company for yourself. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. 